We, uh, let's start out with some good news. You know our brother Adrian, who teaches the youth uh, ministry, uh, they had a baby today. They had a baby, a baby son. And uh, they named him Nolan, so, as in Nolan Ryan, the pitcher. So uh, if you have a Bible w- with you, let's turn together to 2 Timothy chapter, t- uh, chapter 4. We're going to be reading through verses uh, 1 through 8 tonight. Uh, the bulk of the teaching, um, I titled tonight's message, uh, Finishing Well, which is taken from 2 Timothy verses 7 and 8. So uh, I'd like to start by reading that. It says, uh, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. So this is uh, Paul's final letter that he wrote. He wrote this from uh, a Roman prison as he was on death row, basically uh, awaiting execution. He wrote it to his, as it says in 1 Timothy 1-2, his true son in the faith, Timothy, a young man that he had been discipling for a long time. It says in the scriptures that uh, Paul knew Timothy's mother and grandmother. And in uh, another part of Timothy, he says that, you know, he saw the same faith in them that he now sees in Timothy. So he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy, to challenge him, and to warn him, to equip him, knowing that these would be the final words that he would probably say to him. So let's start also by reading the whole context rather than just these two verses. So let's read uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy. Let's read verses 1 through 8, and we'll come back and we'll talk about them. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance, appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, uh, their own desires because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Though these words are dedicated to Timothy, they actually are for all of us, as all scripture is. This is that um, this is meant in our aid to finishing our ministry. So let's focus on uh, what Paul mentioned. He says there are many warnings in this uh, letter to Timothy, also in these verses here, uh, that we can benefit from. But there's also some what I call do's. There, there are things that Paul pointed out that not only that Timothy should be aware of, but also things that he could do to help in finishing his ministry. So um, let's start by looking at verse 2. You know, Paul was an evangelist. You know, when you think about people like Billy Graham and you think about people like Greg Laurie, you know, they teach the word to God's people, but you primarily think of them as evangelists. You know, Paul started his ministry by ministering to the Jews. He would reason with them in the synagogues. He would try to persuade them from the Old Testament scriptures. But eventually it got to the point that Paul realized that they were not listening to him. After all the persecutions and 
all that he went through. It says in Acts chapter 13, verses uh, 46 to 47, that he went to the Gentiles to preach to them. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, it, uh, it says that Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. So preaching is for the lost. It's sharing the gospel to those that are unsaved. So in verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. So obviously, we're not all preachers here. So what do we get from this idea of preaching? So there's different kinds of preaching. You can stand up here like at a pulpit and you can preach. You can go to a street corner and you can preach. You can go to a park and preach. You can go anywhere and preach. But the thing that matters most is that our lives match what we say. You know, it is so easy to see people that talk, 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 and then you look at their lives and they don't match up. And that takes away from our testimony. There's an old saying that uh, we should preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Because if our lives don't show it, it doesn't matter really what we say. It says in Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor with his evil and cling to what is good. And James also tells us that we should be doers of the word, not just hearers where we wind up deceiving ourselves. Paul also says that we should show loving gestures. You know, it's one thing to talk about our faith and share our faith, but faith is an action. Love is an action. You need to be able to, people need to be able to see uh, the love of God in our lives by what we do, by how we treat them, by how we treat one another, by how we treat the people we work with, by our neighbors, our coworkers. You know, James says in 2.16, uh, James, he says, if I say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well to somebody, but then I don't give that person any food or clothing or good. What does it do? You know, there's too many uh, people that wish well, and yet they don't actually get involved and do anything to help somebody else. I mean, there's dozens of ways we can just show the love of Christ to somebody. We can, you know, uh, check in on our neighbor. We can bring a coworker coffee. We can, you know, my wife, uh, she leaves out a bottle of water for the mailman every day. Just simple little gestures that you can do to show people the thoughtfulness. That's really what it is. There's an old saying that we have in our wall. It says that no one will care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true. You know, you'd be the smartest man in the world, the most learned theologian. If people don't feel that love and see that love in your life, then it it really doesn't matter. You know, uh, God gives us opportunities all the time. In, In our everyday life, we run across countless opportunities that what we call divine intervention or divine opportunities. Um, you think about it. Jesus went to places to teach the word. He went to the temple. He went to the Mount of Olives. He went to the seashore. He went to the synagogues. They were planned places that Jesus went to share, to teach about the kingdom. But Jesus had plenty of what we would call chance encounters or divine appointments. Uh, think about the woman at the well. You know, he went to stop and get a drink, and here's this woman, and he winds up sharing with them, which led to uh, sharing with the Samaritans. There was Zacchaeus standing up in a tree, sitting up in a tree, watching Jesus go by. And Jesus said, come on down, I'm going to your house for dinner. You know, there was Lazarus, who his sisters came and told of his sickness. And Jesus waited, which wound up being an opportunity for him to show his power over death. There was the Roman centurion. There, there was Jairus' daughter. There was the woman with the issue of blood. These are all people that came to Jesus. These are not people that Jesus went to. And uh, the Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, if we just walked out our door every morning and said, Lord, I'm available, use me. God will send people to us, encounters throughout our day, in our workplace, uh, in our neighborhoods. Um, we have a, a, a male lady that uh, saw like some plaques and things we have in the door. God bless you. And my wife would leave her water every day. And this lady was just going through a really heartbreaking home situation. And she, she actually came to our door when knocked on the door one day. And she says, I can see that you guys are like Christians, religious people. Can I talk to you about my situation? My wife's been able to share with her for the last few weeks. And she came to church a couple of times now. So just, you know, if we're available, God will send people to us. We don't even have to go out. Not that we shouldn't, but we don't have to because if we're just open, like Paul said, those divine works have already been preordained for us to walk in. We just have to be faithful to take advantage of them. Uh, it says uh, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, uh, But sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, and always be ready to make a defense of anyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. If our lives show the love of Christ, if our actions, our kindness, uh, the gestures that we do, the thoughtful things we do, somebody's going to say, man, there's something different about you. I want to know what you have. I want, to, I want what's missing in my life. And that's what he said, you know, just be ready for those divine appointments. You know, Paul goes on to say to be ready in season and out of season. It's uh, at the retreat, we were talking a lot about uh, availability. This one teaching was about that, about, you know, we oftentimes limit God because we're not available. It's like, well, okay, God, I've got four hours to give you today, so do what you want. I can't make it until Thursday, but I can be there for two hours. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, it says that, you know, that God is always working. And, you know, and we need to be available so that when he moves, that we move. When he says stop, we stop. You know, it can't be on our time schedule. And, uh, and that's really where we, I think, we run into struggles. Uh, it says in Second Chronicles chapter, Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9, it says, for the, Lord's, uh, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So if we're making ourselves available, I mean, God knows our limits. God knows our resources. He knows what we can and can't do. And he's not going to put us in the situation that he hasn't uh, enabled to us or gifted us to do. It says in John chapter 3, verse 8, if you remember that chapter, that's when Jesus was ministering to Nicodemus. And in verse 8, Jesus said this. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You guys have seen the Santa Ana winds, you know, you just like, you watch that blowing around. I mean, you can't see wind, but you can see the effect that it has on that. And that's the idea that Jesus is using here. He says that you, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or from where it goes. So is everyone born of the spirit. I mean, God's not going to put up a big sign and say, uh, you know, Bob, I have Bob, you know, I, Bob, this is for you. I mean, you just have to be open because, you know, the Lord may bring in an opportunity when we're not looking for it. And I was like, oh man, at the retreat, they were talking about, um, this brother was talking about how, he was sitting down to dinner and he goes, you know how it is. You're just about to sit down and you get a phone call. And it's that guy, that guy that wants to uh, pour out his, you know, his heart and all this stuff to, you know, it's going to be like an hour and a half conversation and you can easily hit decline or you can easily say not available. But, you know, that's really the, the testings for us. You know, 
I'm terrible at that. I would probably put decline. <laughs> so as I've been studying, this is like, oh, that's me. My wife will, will pick up the phone. She'll talk, and she'll be talking to people. And I, I'm just like falling asleep on the couch, and she's just ministering. It's like, Lord, I need to be like that, more available. But, you know, I think about the, you know, the, the opportunity that I've missed because it's like, I'm tired, or you know, I don't feel like it. Oh, maybe tomorrow, Lord. Oh, uh, I don't want to go to study tonight. It's been a long day. And you miss out on the blessings because, you know, we let our feelings or if we're tired or, you know, if we got something else we want to do or there's a football game on or whatever it may be, you know. And uh, as we're saying, you know, the Lord wants to always work. And if we're available, it's uh, amazing the opportunities that he'll just bring our way. It says uh, in John chapter 15, chapter 5, verse 19, it says that then Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you that the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do, <clears throat> for whatever he does, the son does in like manner. See, when Jesus came, you know, he didn't come to do his own will. He came to show us how to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that's what it was. The Holy Spirit led him here. Remember, it says that when he was tempted, that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to lead us too, just as much. Uh, it says in 2 Timothy two twenty through 21, it says that in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and for dishonor. There, if anyone cleanses himself in the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, set apart and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, what he was saying is that in everybody's houses, there's the good china, and then there's the Tupperware, right? There's the everyday stuff. There's the, you know, the, 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 the company china. And then there's the paper plates, you know. So, but everything has a purpose. And, and he's saying, you know, if you want to be a paper plate in the kingdom, you can be a paper plate. If you want to be a china cup, you can be a china cup. You're going to be used either way. The, the thing is, is that we are going to be used whether or not we make ourselves available or not. But we're either going to be used by the devil for his purposes or by our flesh for our own self serving purposes or by the Lord for the greater purposes. Like Bob Dylan said, you know, that you're going to serve somebody. You may not even realize that you are serving or not serving, but you will. So moving on to the next point, Paul says to convince, <clears throat> excuse me, convince or reprove. That word there, convince, um, I looked it up in the, in the Greek uh, dictionary, and it generally is trans. Uh, uh, translated either convince or reprove, which is interesting because if it's convinced, it means to um, cause somebody to believe firmly in a truth of something, uh, to persuade somebody to do something. It's like talking somebody into something. But if it's translated rebuke or reprove, it means more like to rebuke in a kind of like official capacity. So it seems that Paul is exhorting Timothy to assume a role of responsibility, of authority, in correcting and rebuking somebody like in an official capacity. I don't know if any of you guys are supervisors in your jobs or you've had a, like a lead man or, or any position where you have other people underneath you. You know, it's a lot of times it's tough to correct people, especially if you are friendly with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, Timothy was a young man. You know, he was much younger than a lot of the people that, you know, he was overseeing. In fact, he, uh, Paul went on to tell him in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Don't let anybody uh, despise your youth, but be an example to a believer in the words and conduct, in love, spirit, faith, and maturity. He also said, 
um, that he should not rebuke an older man. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 12, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he was a father. Treat the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women and sisters with absolute purity. So I think what I'm getting out of what I'm reading is that Paul is saying, look, Timothy, you know, you're going to be in a leadership position in a church. There's going to be times that you need to correct people, and you can't shy away from that. And it's like us, too. I mean, there's going to be situations in our life maybe when we're going to need to, you know, rebuke somebody or, you know, call somebody out on something that they're doing. And, uh, you know, depending on our temperament, some of us are more likely to say, I, I don't want to get mixed up in that. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is, look, you know, that's a part of your responsibility. There's times that you need to correct people and you need to do it in a loving way and you need to be respectful and you need to realize that even the younger people, that you're not better than them, you know, that they're brothers and they're sisters. Okay, so the next topic would be rebuke. Uh, according to James Reverdy McGee, this word rebuke here means to threaten, actually to threaten. And I think what, uh, what I'm getting out of what he's saying is that, you know, don't water down the Bible. I mean, it's easy to, you know, uh, like, yeah, well, we don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about judgment. You know, we want to talk about this stuff. We want to talk about love and peace and kumbaya and getting together. And, you know, I like you and what you're doing. Is fine. And, and that's what he's saying is, no, I mean, you need to let the, the sharp edge of the word be the sharp edge of the word. You need to let hell be hell, judgment be judgment. And just basically, like the scriptures say, speak the truth in love. Don't water it down. So I think that's what he's saying is let, when the, when the word is really coming sharply across, let it do that because it's supposed to. Don't, you know, water it down or try to make it more palatable for somebody. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 36, Jesus said this, uh, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, and a man's enemies would be those of his own household. I think what he's, he's getting at is that when, when God saves you and your life begins to be transformed, it's going to rub people the wrong way. They're going to, they're going to see a difference and they're not always going to like what they see. And I'm sure the holidays come around and we get together with unbelieving family members and things that you know, we, we know what that's like. And so um, I think that's what Jesus is saying. He goes, you know, you need, you need to expect that. You know, that's going to happen. Uh, the scriptures say that if, you know, uh, that all those who live godly in Christ are going to suffer persecution. So we need to be aware of that. You know, if we really are committed to living for the Lord, we're going to step on people's toes, not on purpose, just because, like, you know, the light and darkness cannot coexist. You know, as we live our lives, it's just going to show and people are going to be convicted. They're going to get, you know, be threatened and, and whatever. So, so the next one is uh, relief against unbelief. I'm sorry. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, as I just shared, uh, all that who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Uh, the next one Paul talks on is exhorting, which means to encourage. Lord, we all we need encouragement. I know that for sure. What's really interesting, I was thinking about it today, that uh, Paul's first missionary journey, his first companion was Joseph. You probably don't recognize that name, but uh, he got the nickname Barnabas. And what Barnabas means is son of consolation or son of encouragement. So Paul's first companion in the missionary journey was a, a positive and encouraging guy. And, uh, you know, 
David had Jonathan. We all need somebody in our lives to help, you know, sharpen that iron to build us up in our lives. You know, none of us do well when we're alone too much. We were, we were meant to work together with other people. Uh, where do we find encouragement from? Obviously, the best place to find it is in God's word. We find it through friends and family, through our brothers and sisters, through coming and family. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, when you're really down, what does the enemy try to do? He's like, ah, stay home. Don't go to church tonight. You know, don't go there. You know, you know, everybody will know you're bummed. Don't go. Or how many times do we walk in here like, how's it going? Oh, praise the Lord, brother. And inside you're just dying. You just really want to just pour your heart out, you know. I struggle with that too. You know, it's that spiritual pride that we just don't want to admit that we don't have it all together or that, you know, we really are more in need of help than we really want to admit. Um, you know, we get it through inspirational writings. And believe it or not, on my Facebook page, I see a lot of people post, you know, positive little, uh, you know, things, inspirational sayings and stuff. I saw one the other day I thought was really cool. It said, Lord, help me be the man or woman that my dog thinks that I am. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Help me to be the man or woman that my dog thinks I am. That's a, that's a high level to live up to right there. You know, just think if we could love one another the way that our dogs love us. Just that unconditional love, you know, just great, great witness. Next thing Paul touches on. Um, actually, I wanted to share one little thing. Um, uh, when uh, President Lincoln was assassinated, um, he... When he, he died, the contents of his coat, jacket, all his personal belongings was given to his, his son, Robert Todd Lincoln. And when uh, he passed them on to his daughter, Mary, and she kept them until 1937 when she donated them to the Library of Congress. And they basically stayed sealed up in a box until the bicentennial in 1976. And when they opened them up, the box up, they found you know things that you would expect, eyeglasses, a pocket knife. But he also had a wallet that somebody had given him just very recently for his birthday. And inside the wallet were newspaper clippings. And the newspaper clippings were all about, uh, you know, achievements in the war, uh, positive things that were written about him in in the newspaper. And uh, I thought it was really cool that even the president just needed that little encouragement, that little, because you look around at what was going on, the Civil War, the emancipation, you know, the, the whole reconstruction of the south and the hatred you know people hated him i mean he you talk about you know president trump's popularity i mean this guy was you know there were a lot of people that weren't didn't like him so anyway he just i think he just pulled those clippings out and every once in a while and just realized that you know yeah thank you thank you and uh you know it's the same with us we all need someone and to help us to give that positive encouragement to one another next thing paul talks about is long suffering which is patience uh, I don't know about, probably, I'll just skip over that because I'm sure nobody has problems with patience here. No? Everybody's cool with that? Okay, we'll just skip that one. No. First uh, <laughs> Thessalonians chapter five fourteen says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, uh, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and, uh, oh, what's it say? Be patient to all. Ugh, that's a tough one, huh? Because I'm not a very patient person by nature. So when I pray for patience, it seems like I keep getting my, ta- my patience tested. I don't know. You guys experience that too? <laughs> Lord, give me patience. Ugh, I want it right now. So, But we need it. And I, I think that's the, the, really the only way we learn patience is to have our patience tested. You know, um, uh, if you have allergies, anybody hear of allergies? Have you ever had a scratch test done? You know what a scratch test is? 
they basically make like a checkerboard in your back, uh, little squares, and then they scratch it with all these different things to see what you're allergic to. And I think that's kind of how it is with patients. Let's see how he does in traffic. Oh, not good. Oh, how about family reunions? Oh, let's see how the marriage doing. Oh, let's see how the kids are doing. Anyway, and God does that so that we can see like, oh, I mean, God already knows where our patience is lacking. He doesn't do that for his benefit. He does it for us so that we can start praying about, yeah, Lord. I mean, for me, traffic is just, oh, it's like the, anyway. So we all have different areas. Uh, you know, maybe it's our spouse, our relationship to our spouse, our coworkers, our neighbors, our brothers, or sisters. You know, maybe, uh, you know, we're, you know, I was reading it too, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 13 verse 4, when it explains what love is. You know what the first thing it says love is? It says love is long-suffering. It's patient. The very first thing when Paul describes what love is. So that definitely should be the top of our personal prayer list. Lord, help us to be patient. You know, uh, patient with our, each other, patient with our kids, patient with our spouses. You know, it's definitely an area that we'll spend our whole Christian life growing in. And then Paul goes on to talk about the uh, teaching. Uh, it says Romans uh, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, that teaching is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, teachers are going to be high, held to a higher standard. It says in James, 31, uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. So, um, it's true, you know, uh, we're responsible for the things that, I mean, you can be held liable if you're, like my wife works for a medical uh, facility, and if somebody calls up and say, what should I do in this situation, she can't give them medical advice, even if she knows what it is, because she'll be held liable, or the company will be held liable. You know, and as a teacher uh, of God's word, you know, what we teach, we're liable for it. I mean, you know, Jesus said that uh, it's better if to tie a millstone around your neck and toss it into the deepest part of the ocean than to, to mislead one of his little ones. So it's not something that anybody should enter in, you know, without really considering it. But then again, in our everyday life, we all teach in some way. We teach our children. You know, we, we teach in Sunday school. We, we teach uh, people in our jobs how to do things. So in a way, we're all teachers. But I think that's where it goes back again to modeling our faith by how we live. That's the best way to show what, what we believe is by how we, uh, how we live it out, how we put it into practical everyday ways. And, uh, you know, we should uh, look for ways to share. I mean, if you know John 6 through 3, uh, John 3.16, you can share that or teach that to somebody else. I mean, you don't have to be a theologian to... You share what you know with somebody else. And, and the thing is, is that if somebody asks you a question and you don't know, don't give them an answer. Just say, hey, let me find out. Let me get back to you. I'll go ask somebody that knows, or I'll to ask my pastor, or ask Tony, or ask Joe. So we should prayerfully uh, consider teaching. Don't be afraid. I mean, again, uh, teaching is a gift. If God's giving you that gift, then, then ask God to help give you opportunities to use that gift. Um, because obviously, you know, God doesn't want us to stifle our gift. You know, the parable of the talents talks about how, you know, that, that the, the, the master gave a different amount of talents. You could call it sums of money, abilities, whatever it is. And uh, one guy got five, one guy got two, one guy got one. And, you know, it's not a matter of how much we get. It's a matter of what do we do. I think they just shared about that recently. Uh, 
if the only one uh, Jesus spoke against was the one that buried his talent in the sand and didn't use it because he was afraid to. You know, God knows how productive we're going to be. He knows what our strengths and weaknesses are. So he just wants us to take it and invest that. And he'll bless it. You know, he brings the rain, the water. He breaks the pro. We just have to take that initiative to do that. Um, he also goes on to say that, uh, that uh, Timothy needed to endure, that there was a time coming when they didn't endure sound doctrine. And uh, you think about Christians or people that call themselves Christians nowadays, you know, they, there is no stand on the Bible, no stand on the word, no doctrinal stand. It's more about, you know, experiences. It's more about entertainment. It's more about, uh, you know, charismatic you know, speakers and leaders. You know, we're getting away from that where we, you know, you go back a, a hundred years or so, I mean, everything was based on the Bible. You know, the Bible was taught. Do you know that, um, that the college systems that started in the United States, the very first college was started by, by a ministry? And the reason that I think I don't know if it's Harvard or one of those two universities, they started with the purpose of teaching people to read so they could read the Bible. And it wasn't until the years went by with they got more and more secular in classes and stuff like that. But originally, the college system was started to teach people to read so they could read the Bible. That's how far away we've got from that in our educational systems. Paul also says that people will be following their own desires. You know, and that's a whole lot of what we hear nowadays. It's all about self-esteem and uh, finding yourself and expressing yourself and choosing your own gender and sexual identity and all these things, you know. You know, people are all about, well, nobody can tell you what right and wrong is. You need to have your own moral code, you know. And so when you get away from being able to use the Bible for the basis of your, you know, your standard of living, it's really hard to talk to people. It's easy to talk to somebody that least believes in God because then you can reason with them from the Bible. But nowadays, uh, I read a statistic that said that 40% of young people nowadays identify themselves as atheists, 40%. You know, these kids are being raised to not believe in God. And it's really sad because you can see the effects in their lives and on society, and it's heartbreaking. Um, He goes on to say, too, that they will seek false teachers to tell them fables and not truth. You know, our young people nowadays are being indoctrinated into socialism from the time they're little all the way through their college years. You know, they, they seek out churches that have something to give them. Instead of going to a church to go where they can grow and learn, it's like, well, what program do you have? Do you guys have this? You know, what's going on here? What kind of band do you have? You know, and uh, what kind of programs do you have? So it's like they're shopping for what I can get out of church instead of a place to go where they can grow. You know, it's really sad. Uh, you know, Satan doesn't care what we're into. As long as it keeps us from God, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what we listen to or what we follow as long as we don't follow God. He doesn't even care for religious as long as we don't believe God's word. Paul goes on to then say that uh, to be watchful in all things. Uh, he asks us to be like a, like a sentry guard, you know, on duty, keeping an eye out. In the Bible, they, they used to call them watchmen. They would watch on the walls, keep the, the city safe. So what do we watch out for? I think as Christians, you know, for years, we shied away from being involved politically. Uh, but, you know, we should really know what those that we vote for believe in and support those candidates that reflect our values. We should be involved in our schools. You know, how did the schools get so socialistic all these years? Because a lot of people just send their kids off to school like it's a daycare. They, you know, they, the, ki- they, the kids, they let the schools feed them and 
clothe them just about and, and teach them everything. And as so many have dropped out and are not involved, we need Christians to be involved as teachers and people on PTAs and things like that. Uh, he says to look out for others. We need to be protective Christians. You know, uh, I was talking to Pastor Tony on the way down about how, you know, that, you know, they've been training people to uh, 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 ushers and stuff how to basically defend themselves because, Let's face it, the times that we're given in, there are a lot of people out there that want to do harm. We've seen church shootings and things like that. So we need to be prepared to protect the people, the people that come here. Uh, look for needs. Uh, we need to be giving Christians. Find ways to, you know, give out to our community, give out to other things. I mean, there's all kinds of great programs that if we have time, you know, we should be involved. There's the thing called... Um, it was a food bank over here at the high school just recently. Just once a month, the, this group comes out and they just offer free food to people that can't afford it or are or, or in need. And then the, one of the last things Paul says is, is to endure inflictions, he tells Timothy. Just as Jesus said that the days would grow more evil uh, as his return approaches in Matthew 24. And he even asked if he would find faith when he returned to the earth. You know, Paul uh, gives us the, uh, what would the world would be like in First Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, if you want to read that on your own. And they also told us our need for boldness, just like the early church in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And then he goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. What do evangelists do? They lead people to Christ. And that's what we should do by our lives, by every opportunity that we find to plant seeds and share Christ with other people. Um, so he says, fulfill your ministry. In other words, see it out to the end. You know, in, in so many ways, we're really good starters. I don't know about you, but when it comes to home projects, I got lots of them that are started, but very few of them that are finished. <laughs> you know, my wife had to finally say, that's it. You're not starting another project until you finish that one. So I think that's what the Lord wants us to do is make sure that when we commit to something that we see it through. You know, it's like uh, our men's and women's Bible studies. The, the first week, the first session, it's like full. And then as it goes down, little by little, little by little, until it's just a handful of people. And it's that way all the time. You know, and, you know, Jesus wants us to be, when we make a commitment to something, to see it through, to stick to it. Um, you know, serving the Lord is a lifetime commitment. You know, I was talking to Mike backstage before we came out. And, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, we, we raise our family, we raise our kids, and then comes the grandkids. And then we retire from work. Then we have this block of time. It's like, oh, well, you know. I'm just going to go on vacations. I'm just going to travel. I'm going to play golf every day. And, you know, we think that serving the Lord stops at retirement, you know, but it's a lifetime thing. I heard this really great story about, uh, about a pastor. He had served the Lord for a number of years and he retired. So he retired and he got, you know, kind of antsy. He was kind of bored. So he decided he was going to go back to school and study Greek. He always wanted to learn how to read Greek. Uh, I think it was in his late 60s, early 70s. So he spent three years going to college, learned Greek. Then after three years, he got his degree. And he said, well, I might as well study and get Hebrew too. So he went two more years, got his Hebrew degree. And then they liked him so much at the college, they said, well, would you mind, would you like to teach a class? So he spent like the next 10 or 12 years teaching Hebrew and Greek at a college. He died at like 93 years old. I mean, what a way to finish strong, you know. It's so, in this world, it's so youth-oriented. Every time you turn the TV, it's nothing but, you know, gorgeous young people dancing, singing, ah, you know, having a good time. And, you know, and as we get older, we kind of become like the forgotten people. And we think, well, my, my usefulness is done. I guess I'll just kind of, you know, just enjoy the rest of my life. God wants us to use us to our very last day. 
There's no retirement from the kingdom. You know, you don't get a, a gold-plated Bible after 20 years and then you just get to go and do your own thing. You know, God wants us to keep on serving him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then I want to finish with the Philippians. If you turn with me to chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says this, Not that I have already attained, or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as already apprehended, but one thing I do do, I forget those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead, and I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same uh, rule, let us be of the same mind. You know, Paul makes some good points. Verse 12, he says, knowing that we still have a long way to go, we are works in progress. If the enemy ever just gets you down, makes you feel like, oh, you're not worthy to snatch, just remind him, you know, I'm a work in progress. Philippians 1, 6 says that God finishes what he starts. <clears throat> you know, and he has reasons for choosing us too. He sees what we can be if we surrender ourselves to his work and his purpose. And we should aim to do that, to make ourselves available and willing uh, to whatever he has purpose for our lives. So this is what we do. We forget what is past, the good, the bad. We keep looking forward, not backwards. We keep our eyes on heaven and all the spiritual rewards and blessings. And we keep this mindset that it talks about in Colossians 3, 1, of look, 1 through 4, 4, looking to the things above. If we get off track, if we get off track, he will set us straight because he chastens us because he loves us. And whenever you, where you are now, we should just start from where we are. Go forwards, thus minded, for now we have a short time. And as we all know, this life goes by quickly. We're in the home stretch, many of us. Uh, many of us, like I was telling uh, Mike earlier that, you know, if life was a mile, I'm in my fourth lap right now. I've got one more lap to go. So I really want to finish well. I don't want to be one of these old guys sitting at the senior home doing puzzles and, you know, and watching the Gulf Channel. I mean, I want to, I want to keep serving the Lord to the end. I want to be active to the end. So um, I hope we all have that same desire. <clears throat> Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 12.1. He says, remember the creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw nigh where we say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's face it, as we get older, we have a lot less pleasure in life. We've got more aches and pains and get tired faster. We don't have the energy, and God knows that. But that's no reason to give up. It's no reason to stop serving. It's no reason to think that we have no usefulness left in our lives. So uh, think about, it. as older people, what can we still do? I mean, I think right now, at this point of life, what the Lord has shown me is that it's time to pour into the next generation. It's time to mentor the next young people coming up. I mean, you saw this young girl up here singing time. What a blessing to see somebody so young just wanting to serve the Lord with their gifts. You know, we all have kids in our family or maybe neighbors or people we work with. You know, that is the next generation for the church. Um, if you read in Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8, it talks about the, the older men 
teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. And, you know, what's interesting is that um, when it talks about the women, it doesn't really say much spiritually. It talks more about practicality. Teach them to be good wives, to take care of their homes, to love their husbands, to love their children. You think about it nowadays, you know, in our high schools, all those programs that used to, you know, uh, programs like auto shop and, and, uh, you know, wood shop and welding shop, those are all gone now. Uh, There used to be a class called uh, home economics where they would teach you about cooking and about sewing and about making a grocery list. All those things are gone now. So where are these young women and young men coming up nowadays? Where are they going to learn these practical skills? YouTube? It's like, that's how we learn anything nowadays is YouTube. I bet you if you go to YouTube, you could probably do your own brain surgery, probably a video on how to do that. But, you know, that's the thing is that we all have, you know, most of us here are a little bit older. We all have a lifetime worth of skills, things that we've learned, things that God has taught us, things that we've gone through. Those are nuggets of gold to give to the next generation. Just have to ask God to lead us to those people that we can pour into. Because, you know, He's not done with us yet. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God. Uh, Lord, we do desire to serve you like Paul did until the very end. And as he said he was being poured out, he knew his life was coming to an end. And so what did he do? He wanted to write to the young man that he hoped would take over the ministry and keep the work going. And generation after generation, Lord, you've poured out Uh, that older generation into the younger to keep this work going. And so I pray, Lord, as we are getting a little older, that you help us to be that generation that pours into the younger one, Uh, whether it's mentoring or teaching or coming alongside to disciple somebody, Lord. Just give us that desire to give back and help us not to grow weary in well-doing, Lord. We just thank you, God, that you have brought us here tonight where we can hear your word and We know that uh, as we get older, Lord, that we need to depend more and more on your spirit for strength and one another. Uh, But we know, Lord, that you still want to use us. So we just want to make ourselves available to you. And I just want to pray tonight, if there's somebody here that maybe doesn't know the Lord, maybe you came here for the first time and you don't know about what this is all about, about, about Christ and God and what Jesus did and what the cross means and what this is all about. Uh, God came to forgive us in our sins. He came and he sent his son to die in our place uh, to take the punishment that we deserved. And he says that if we call upon the name of the Lord and believe in our heart, that we'll be forgiven and made righteous. So if you're here tonight and you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you this opportunity now to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to make you born again, to give you that brand new life that brand new purpose for living. You know, he says that he causes all things to become new. If your life is a shamble, if you've wondered what the purpose is for life, if you feel like there's no reason, you have no reason to live, then you need Christ to show you the true meaning and the true reason of life. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song right now. Anytime during this song, if you want to come uh, up here to the altar, we'll pray with you. Uh, we'll share with you about how to come into that personal relationship with Jesus, give you a Bible, encourage you. So if you want to come anytime during this time of this song, please come and we'll be glad to pray with you. Mm -hmm.